it's Easter. Let's go to church. And some of the people kind of thought it was funny. It was sort of like a half joke, half serious. And we thought, yeah, let's do it. And so we did. We just got up and went to a church. I knew of a church where a friend of mine was attending. And um, I'd been there a couple of times. Seemed like, a, you know, kind of a friendly, like a nice place. And so we went to this church. And I sat there. And it was one of those times, you know, where you just feel focused and locked in. And it just, just seemed like the whole thing was for me. I know that sounds cliche, but it really did. And I just kind of focused on that. And uh, we, we all went our separate ways. You know, the weekend's kind of over, the party's done. And so we, we go home. I go back to my mom's house. And um, that night I decided, I'm going to go again. I'm going to go back. And so I went back, this time by myself. And uh, it just something different in the atmosphere, uh, just the whole thing. And it was that night that I stepped forward and, and didn't know what to say or how to do. And some of you heard this and you think, oh, no, please don't tell your stories again. Uh, but I just knelt down. They had kind of an altar like this, and I didn't know what to say. I knew it was time for me to come home. And here's what compelled me. The prophecies about Jesus, it was just airtight. I thought there cannot be this many prophecies and with this incredible amount of accuracy for there not to be something to this. The kindness of Jesus, because I was a freak and he still loved me and he still just seemed to constantly be, be reaching out to me. And then the fact of the resurrection. I became convinced it was almost this epiphany that really happened. The resurrection was real. There were all these eyewitnesses, and every, it was just easier to believe it, even from a logical, historical point of view, than to not believe it. To not believe that, I had to jump through all these hoops and make excuses and go, yeah, but I bet this really happened, and come up with all these crazy stories. And I thought it's just easier to believe that, and that tied into the prophecies. It's just this beautiful moment. So I knelt down and I had a good friend who was a Christian. His name was Mike. And I didn't know what to say. So I just said, Lord, make me like Mike. And God knew that wasn't a very theologically correct prayer. <laughs> I think it's make me like Jesus or Jesus come into my heart or forget, you know, all of it. I didn't know what to say, but I knew that I knew he was the real deal. And I just said, Lord, make me like Mike. Something happened in my life on Easter Sunday night. I'd love to share that time with you. I'd love to share that time with your family, with your friends. And, you know, I, I want to say kind of an echo to what Kevin shared a moment ago. Sometimes all that people are waiting on is just an invitation. The reason I knew about that little church and the reason I had visited there and the reason I prayed that prayer was because a guy named Mike invited me to church. And I came out of curiosity, out of the fact that he's a friend and we had done a lot of things together. I think there was maybe a free lunch on the table as well that went along with the deal. So um, whatever that means, because sometimes events like Christmas 
or Easter or other moments, maybe when you have someone in your family who's going to be baptized or, you know, there's this special event, uh, people will lean into that. There's not a lot of animosity or like, no, I'm not coming to your church. I was, I was a freak. I was way out there. But this guy said, hey, I'm just taking a chance. Why don't you come with me? I go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I'm just kind of nudging you a little bit to, um, to lean into some of these special moments. Uh, because I don't think your coworkers or your classmates and friends, they're not going to be as resistant as maybe you would think. And it could really be the catalyst in the moment that changes somebody's life. I mentioned the fact that it was one the, the resurrection. I couldn't get past it. And I remember even talking to some of my friends going, how about that resurrection? Do you believe that? Because I'm believing that. I think that was true. I think that really happened. And I can remember my friends who were just like me going, yeah, we believe. Yeah, we believe Jesus crucified and he rose again. I go, what? You know about it and you believe it? We never, we never talked about this. Yeah, we believe it. I thought, How could you believe it? And we live like we do if you really believe that. I don't know. I just believe it. I don't know. I have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? Whether it's in your life or in somebody else to say, I believe this, but you know, it's going to have very little change or zero effect on my life. I think, no, when you really believe something, you go with that. You, you, know, you move into that. So we've been talking about the resurrection. That's what the message today is going to talk about. The last time we were together, uh, we talked about Jairus' daughter and this, this resurrection you know, that she experienced. It was amazing. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. Then next week we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus' defeat of sin and death becomes a guarantee a guarantee of a new life for all of us who believe. No matter what your background, no matter what your story is up until this moment, it's okay. He gives us victory over sin and death and the penalties that come with that. It's a profound effect that it has on us in the here and now. We're going to see today that just as Lazarus was raised from the dead, that we too can move from death to life when we place our hope in Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection was a game changer. Easter is celebration of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, his dying on the cross that paid for our sins, his victory over sin and death, when he came alive again on that first Easter Sunday. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of eternal life for everyone who believes. And remember the fact that eternal life, because when I first started thinking, ah, eternal life, so I'm not going to die and go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven one day. I'm just never going to stop. And it's like, yeah, that's the deal. I didn't understand that the way eternity works, that it's not just about going forward, which is true. There's no end to eternity but it's also, let me do a little moonwalk here for you. To, I can't, but it's, it goes this way too. Your past is forgiven and that's washed away. So eternity has no beginning and no end. And now my life is in Christ. And it's as if 
all of that stuff and all of that. Like it never happened because I'm in Jesus. I'm not in Adam. I'm not in my flesh. I'm not in my sin anymore. That's what the resurrection did. It changed everything. Eternal life doesn't start the moment you get to heaven. When you set foot, you know, in glory and you think, oh, I believed in Jesus and God's only son and I, and I understand what he accomplished and, and, and I embrace that, his life and his death and his resurrection. It's not just a new ending, it's a new beginning too. And this, this story, this historical event that we're going to look at today is the story about Lazarus. And Lazarus is a photograph. It's like an Instagram of this new life personified. Lazarus. And we're going to look at his story out of John chapter 11. I have with me my new ESV worship leader edition of the Bible. Now, the worship leader edition is very similar to yours, except that at the end of each chapter, it says the last verse seven times. I'm just kidding. I'm just, okay, it takes a little, okay. Um, I'm just, where's Kevin? Okay. The story of Lazarus reminds us of the new life that Jesus gives to everybody who believes. Jesus had this special relationship with this group of siblings. Their names were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. You may be familiar with that. Yet when they sent word to Jesus that young Lazarus, and I think he was probably about, I'm just going to look generally in this direction and this direction. He was a lot younger than maybe you think in the movies or you know, in your imagination. He was a young guy, maybe 19, 20 years old. So Lazarus dies, and they send word uh, that Lazarus is really, really sick, and he's, he's not, not going to do well. And Jesus just dawdles. I mean, he just kind of takes his time, and he purposefully, you go back and read uh, this 11th and 12th chapter in John, you'll see that it was very purposeful from the very beginning. All of this was almost planned in the heart and the mind of Jesus. In fact, he said, let's go this way, and they're like, we don't need to go back through Judea. Why are we going that way? Jesus said, I've got, just come with me. We need to go this way. I mean, every part of this, as it unfolds, you can see, um, is, is very intentional. Uh, in, in, in Jesus' mind. So they, they go out of their way, they go, but then they take their time, and Jesus delays the coming. And in the midst of that, here's what happens. Uh, look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I mean, he didn't just take his time two days. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, "Uh, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. They're they're looking for you. You, You've got a wanted poster out. Uh, Are you sure you want to go there again? Maybe we should go somewhere else. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But... If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You know, the disciples are like, what? He's always saying stuff like that. Later, they would begin to understand. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. 
The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. It's going to be okay. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Uh, but that's not what Jesus told them. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Sometimes he just had to, okay, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Well, let's go to him. And then the first guy that speaks up is Thomas. You know, Thomas is always like, well, I don't know. I mean, he, he's, he's that guy. And, well, let's go to, and he says something. And I'm not sure whether he was referring to Lazarus, which is probably most likely, or about Jesus was, yeah, let's go so we can die too. Everybody, everybody up for death? Let's, okay. And it just throws in that little snarky remark. And I'm so glad scripture includes things like that because these, these people were just so much like us. They were, they were, so, um, they were so human. Okay, so they get they they move on and they finally arrive at this home in Bethany and Jesus is coming up and they're all looking out. Martha sees that it's Jesus, so she runs out of the house and goes to meet him where he is. Mary, mm. Mary says, "I'm she's just, she's grieving. She's in there. It's too late. Everything's so she just stays in the house." So they have this conversation. Uh, they affirm the fact, and each one of the sisters tells him the same thing. And you know they were saying it to each other before he got there. Well, Jesus has been here. I don't know why he didn't. Where's, where's he been? I don't know. They told him, and they just went back and forth. So each of them repeat the same thing. You know, if you had been here, you see, you feel that tone? It's got a little bit of an accusation to it. If you had been here, I guess Lazarus would still be alive. But since you weren't here, he's not. So they push that issue with him. They're grieving. They're upset. And when you're upset, you don't always say the right thing. Jesus assures them he is the resurrection and the life. And the way Jesus says this, when he's talking with Mary, and Mary says, well, I know, you know, on the last day we'll all be resurrected. And he's like, I am. And he says, I am, in the same way. Do you remember all the way back in the Old Testament when Abraham and God were having this conversation and God's like, I'm going to send you out and I'm sending you to a place you've never been and we're going to spread this love, we're going to spread this and, and Abraham's right, okay, I'm going, that's all right. Well, about, who, who do I tell them sent me on this mission, this new life? Who do I say? And God said to Abraham, I am. I am that I am. That's who sent you. So when Jesus says this, the way this is constructed, he's not just saying, I am the resurrection and the life, which is true all by itself. He's saying something bigger. He's claiming deity along with the ability to be alive after death. He says, ego, I, me. I am. I. Only I. No one's like me. I'm completely unique Anything in anyone you've ever met, I am the resurrection. I don't just cause resurrections, but I am the embodiment of that. So he, he makes this claim of resurrection, and whoever believes in me, he says, though they die, they will live too. Verse 25. Well, the story moves forward, and... You maybe have read this before and heard about this. He raises Lazarus. It's this tremendously dramatic event. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And then he asks these onlookers, these people around, um, 
oh, help him out of his grave clothes. You know, in verse 38 and to 44, well, let me just read that part because that's pretty, pretty amazing. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, you know how awkward this was? Uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, this golal, um, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around so that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, and the verb there means he's just talking quietly. He's having this prayer, this conversation with the Lord. He pulls himself together. And this is an unusual thing because you don't see this a lot in Scripture, what Jesus does next. It says that he cried with a loud voice. It's the same word when he cries from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's caruzzo. It's this, it's this shout. You never picture Jesus shouting, right? I mean, you know, in, in the movies, he's always like really cool, and he's, he's just kind of, he's always in control. When this moment, Scripture's already mentioned four times the emotion of Jesus. And that he himself is overwhelmed. And he just shouts at the top of his lungs. He says, Lazarus, come out. And this was the moment after he said that. You could have heard a pin drop. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. What an amazing story. When I was um, younger, I would get bored with my hairstyle, still do, but um, I wore it kind of long And I had been to see a couple of times in concert a guy named David Bowie. You probably don't remember him. Um, But anyway, he died January 10th, 2016, just a couple of years ago. And uh, when he died, he had just made a new album um, called Black Star. And within that, there is this video called Lazarus. I don't know some of you maybe have seen this. But in the video, it, it deals with these concepts of death and life and resurrection and the grave and it's just kind of this it's a little bit creepy um but it it was released just a few days before his death and so it circulated it just you know just pushed this out his producer wrote this on facebook his death was no different from his life a work of art he made black star for us his parting gift he was an extraordinary man full of love and life He will always be with us. For now, it is appropriate to cry. 
fans seemed to feel almost as if Boy was somehow reaching back through the grave and resurrection. Truth of the matter is that Bowie, though a brilliant musician, was in fact dead. Only God knows the state of his faith. I can't judge his heart. None of us can. But regardless of whether David Bowie will be raised again with all believers, he cannot make this claim that only Jesus and Jesus alone can make. I am the resurrection and the life. Put your hope nowhere else. Not in anything else, not a system of belief, not a religion, not a person. It's just Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Mary is facing this dark night of the soul in the midst of this loss and losing her brother. And with that comes all these doubts and this grief. And sometimes when you're hurting and it just makes you wonder... Is this real? God, are you really there? Is this, is this true? Is this really legitimate? And she's having all these questions. And Jesus says to her in verse 25 and 26, he, he says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he locks eyes with Mary and just for a moment connects with her. And then he asks this question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Today Jesus promises the same to each of us. When you face your own doubts, your own grief, your own fear, he provokes us with his identity as resurrection and the life. He asks us to reaffirm and to recommit to believing that promise. And the question is out there, not just for Mary, but for me and for you. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the resurrection? He is the life. So that's Mary. Martha was there. And you know, I've always liked Martha. And I always feel like she gets this bad reputation because of the incident where she's cleaning up the house. And Mary's sitting there and she's adoring Jesus. I'm not mocking her because it was a beautiful thing. But, you know, Mary's calling me. She's getting things done. And she's like, well, somebody's got to do this and got to do that, you know. And, and so I kind of, we understand her, right? Company shows up. Here's Jesus. He's got 12 guys with him. The house is a mess. I don't have anything to eat. And I mean, she's just kind of... And so from, from that one little story, that incident, we always think, oh, Martha, you know, Martha. I don't. But in John 11, she's mentioned, like in verse 24, she gives this really good answer to a scripture. You know, because I think she knew scripture. And Jesus said, what well, do you know about this? He goes, yeah, well, I know on the last day. I've studied this. 
And I know on the last day in the resurrection, that he will, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's a good answer, but I've got something even better and something bigger to tell you. And in verse 27, when Jesus is like, well, who, what do you think is going on here? She confesses. This is before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. She confesses, you're the Messiah. You are the one we've all been waiting for. She knew that, but where did that come from? Here's what I think. I think because she had sat and listened to Jesus so many times. All those times he had come by the house, he was always welcome. He had a standing invitation. And with that invitation, you know, he would stay there and they became good friends. And they built this relationship. And at the end of the day, after this time with Jesus, she was able to to pull this together and go, you know what? You're him. You're the one. You're the Christ. And that's exactly what happens when you spend time with Jesus. The more you're with him, the more that's affirmed. Now, that Easter Sunday night that I came back to the Lord, I didn't know a lot about him. I didn't know Bible stories. I knew a few, and I knew things like most people know. But I found a Bible and began to read, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I didn't know all of this was in here. And the more time I spent with Jesus, the more in love with him I fell. And that's what happens. You begin with just a little belief. And you just spend time with him. Martha was a woman of deep faith, but she didn't get there overnight. I think it came from all those times where they had become friends. And she built this relationship by spending time with Jesus. It's pretty simple. But we build a relationship with him in exactly the same way. And out of that relationship, she trusted him. Even... When he did this unthinkable thing, and and you couldn't deny that he delayed. I mean, wouldn't that be hard for you to put together if somebody said, I really love you, we're in this relationship, and I'm here for you, I got your back, if you ever need me, just give me a call. You know, and all this, you know, in the context of that, Jesus delays. And she's, I mean, you've got to think, wait a minute, I thought we were friends. I thought you would be here for me. Lazarus was dying, and I know you got the word, and yet you took two days. But Martha didn't doubt. She didn't understand. It's like, I don't understand why you did that. I don't understand why you're here, but you know what? I trust you. And I've gotten to know you well enough to know you're up to something. Listen, whenever God delays in your life, and I know that happens, and you pray, and you pray, and you think, why, Lord, why won't you answer anything? It's because God is up to something. He's up to something in your life. And it's purposeful. It's intentional. It's not just like, he, oh, uh, I'm so sorry. I was really busy over here and I just didn't see that. I didn't, I'll get to you. No, it's not about that. It's purposeful. So he delays and Martha trusts that. And, and in verse 22, she says, you know what? Even though I know the, the, the worst thing in the world that could happen, Lazarus is dead, I still got a feeling you could turn this around. You could change everything if you wanted to, just a word. I know you, and I know who you are. So when, when it seems like 
God has delayed. And when it seems like the answer just didn't come and now it's too late, don't stop praying, don't give up, don't stop believing, and don't lose heart. You never know what he's going to do next. And some of you are praying for a loved one who maybe hasn't come to Jesus. Maybe you're praying about a situation in your own life. Maybe you're praying about your marriage or a child that's away from the Lord. Or, I don't know. It could be a hundred different things. But you are right on the edge. You're right on the verge of saying, you know, I've, I've been praying about this for a year, two years, five, ten years I've been praying about this. And now all these things have happened. I just don't, I just, I don't see it. So I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. He may even do a miracle. I mentioned a moment ago that four times in this passage it's mentioned how emotional Jesus was. And I really like that about him because sometimes I'm an emotional guy. And verse 38 says that he was deeply moved. This really touched him. Jesus was a man of passion and a man of compassion. So he quietly prays, and then he shouts. He cries with this loud voice, and here's this dramatic event you know, in this story. And can you, can you see that Like in your imagination? Do you see everybody? Jesus shouts to Lazarus. He's over here, and he's like, Lazarus, come on out of there. What does everybody do? I mean, what would I do? They've rolled the stone away. I'm watching that doorway, right? There's that dark hole in the side of the hill, and you're just thinking, what do you think is going to happen? You know, and there's just, just this moment. I don't know how much time passes by. Maybe a second? Two? And you hear something. And it's coming from inside the tomb. And the next thing you know, there's a Lazarus. But he's got these graves closed, and he's all bound up. And so he's struggling and hopping and bouncing. You know, I don't know how you picture this, but he's trying to get out of there. He's alive. He woke up to the sound of Jesus' voice. And I've tried to imagine what it was like to be Lazarus. I mean, one minute you're surrounded by family and friends and maybe you're, you've got this illness and you're dying and you're just like, goodbye, and, and they're all there and you, and you die. And you wake up and you think, have you ever had that thing where you wake up, maybe in a hotel at your grandma's house, and just for a second or two, you don't know where you are? And, you, and, and it, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we came here, I'm spending the night here. Can you imagine Lazarus? I'm like, dead. And I wake up, what? And his face is covered up. I mean, just that panic and that thing and that I'm alive. I, I, just, I just can't imagine. So he's alive. Bethany, now this little town was excava- excavated in the 1950s. And they have uh, discovered lots of these rock-hewn tombs outside of the village. And I thought it was kind of cool because one of those belonged to Lazarus. <laughs> uh, and it was his. And so what they would do is they would wrap up the jaw, this, uh, 
but they would just wrap it up so the mouth would stay closed, and they would wrap up the arms and legs just enough so that, okay, um, it's not real pretty, but it's, it's necessary. And then sometimes they would wrap their shroud up over their head, and they'd cover this nap, kind of like we call it a napkin. It's really like a, like a baby blanket, that kind of size. You know, they put that over his, his face, and so he's lying there, and all of a sudden he just pops up, and maybe that thing falls off, and he's looking around, and he, and he sees the opening, and he sees the sky, and he sees maybe people peeking in like, Laz, is that you? And he's like, ah, oh, man, my eyes have been closed for four days. <laughs> and, I can't, you know, and he just comes out, and Jesus is like so pragmatic. He's so practical. Let him get, Somebody help the guy. I first thought about that. I thought, Jesus, if you could bring him to life, you could just take care of those grave clothes too, right? <laughs> Why is he still bound up in those? And he asked his friends. Jesus says, I raised you from the dead. I did that. But I'm going to ask your friends to help you with that last thing you need to get free of. And that's your grave clothes. I've heard this passage preached on, and I've read books about it. I'm sure you have too. And... You've heard guys like me and what we focus in on. We can't wait to get to this part to talk about the grave clothes. It's just too easy. <laughs> it just makes for good preaching, you know, to say uh, he's alive, but he's all bound up in the grave clothes, and we're all bound up. And, and that's a really good applicable point. Um, but I wonder, even after hearing this story about Lazarus and how he's He's alive, but he's not really free yet because he's still got these death clothes on him. That some of you, after even hearing this again and again and again, you're still wearing your old grave clothes. Sometimes it's okay for you to get a little help from your friends. Jesus has set you free. And now because you're so embarrassed because of the sin in your life or the direction you've taken or this that's happened or you don't want anybody to know and you know, we're afraid of being transparent, we're afraid of being vulnerable so we just keep those grave clothes on and we don't let anybody know. Listen, you need a friend. You need somebody you trust that you could go to and go, look, this isn't the way it seems. I'm, I'm pretending. Let me illustrate that. Let me show you how this works sometimes. And I'm going to ask Daniel to come up. And you don't even have to say a word, Daniel. Um, I'm just messing with you. I've just messed with you and Kevin. Where's Joe? I'll get him next. But here's, here's how this works. Now, uh, that's really strong because we used Sharpies. Jill Schmoody did this for me. She is somewhere in the building listening to heavy metal music. And she's kind of high. Yeah, thank you. Uh, because this is really... Uh, I'm catching a buzz right now, <laughs> dude. Okay, um, okay. I'm just trying to do this this real quickly. But you know, we're alive, and like like Daniel's alive. I'm gonna ask you just stand right here, and you're just gonna be you're just you're just here to be pretty. And um, I needed somebody attractive enough to not be, to, you know, but somebody not so pretty would be so distracting. And that's cute. No, no, he's, he's good. Okay, but you know what? We're, we're alive, and sometimes um, in, the, in the midst of our, of our living, we learn, even those who are followers of Jesus, we learn how to hide some of the things that are true about us because we don't want anybody to know. And this is something I didn't count on at church, you know, when I first started coming. And, and I began to play the game, too, because I was embarrassed, and I didn't want people to know 
that everything wasn't okay sometimes inside. And Sunday after Sunday, I come and I think that about me. I think it about you. That sometimes there's things that are true under the surface that maybe a few people know, but probably they don't. Um, and I know this is this worked really well in my office, so. You're waiting for it? Just go ahead and do it then. Okay, we'll just... That's two minutes. Okay. Feels better already. Okay. Well, that's soft. Okay. Um. <laughs> You're such a good sport with this. But all of us know. You understand, right? And I may not get you exactly. Okay, we're going to be just really just discreet here, okay? But uh, that's... Most of us know what it's like where nobody can tell. And you've been brought back to life by the gospel of Jesus. But inside, there's some places and some things that maybe you haven't dealt with. This is what I want you to know and to see because you'll remember this. That the resurrection is so powerful. It doesn't just get you saved. It doesn't just get you away from a place of death to life, but it flows life in and through you, and it brings healing in tremendous ways, in deeper, more profound ways. So where you're afraid, he gives you boldness. Where there was shame, you are beloved. You hold that one for me. Where there was sinfulness in your life, even if you kept it quiet, now there is, you know what Romans says, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Where you are afraid, there's boldness. I'm hoping this works. Like I say, it works really good when I'm by myself. Now all those times you felt so alone, but now you're in community. And he said, I promise I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And you've got us. You don't have to do this by yourself anymore. And there are times you feel so angry and you think, I don't know why I'm so upset or I'm agitated. And he says, I have come to give you peace. I've come to give you an abundant, peaceful life. And I know you've been selfish and that you had this tendency to look after your own. And, and, and God says, no, I came to heal that. And I'm going to make you a giving person. And through you, it's going to flow these rivers of blessing into other people's lives. And I know there are times you feel so defeated and you feel so powerless. And God says, I'm going to make you victorious And I'm going to do something so new and so different in your life and give you testimony after testimony. And I know how strong rejection is. And I know what a powerful force that has been in all of our lives. And he says, 
I want you to savor this and I want you to know down in the heart of hearts, in the deepest place of who you are, you are accepted. You're accepted. You don't have to compete. You don't have to perform. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to strive for acceptance. You just are. You just are accepted in him. And all those times when you feel so insecure and so uncertain of yourself, he says, you know what? I take all that away. I'm going to give you confidence. I'm going to give you this assuredness that, that you're not doing this by yourself. And I know some of you are facing addictions and you don't talk about it. And you just keep it quiet. And God says, if you'll let me be your resurrection, if you'll let me be your life, I'm going to set you free. And you're going to love it. You're going to love being free in your life. This is what God does. This is what he does. He is the resurrection and he's the life and he doesn't just change your situation, your circumstance when you're desperate and you think, I'm dying or I'm on my way to hell. No, he changes everything about you and for you and in you through his power. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Just figure out how to get back to your seat with all these. <laughs> Isn't he a great youth pastor? did that as an illustration so that when you get home, maybe you're in your car or even better, in your room, in your closet, in a quiet place, just call out those words that you were and just see Jesus unwrapping those grave clothes off you and replacing those with who you are in Christ. You're no longer hateful. In Jesus, you're beloved. You're, you're no longer forgotten. You're forgiven. You are no longer have been abandoned or forsaken. He's with you and he's in you. He seeks you out. That's resurrection. So I'm giving you this invitation. I'm giving you this opportunity, this moment, to exchange your old life for new life in Jesus because Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. He can breathe fresh new life into your ashes, into your dead bodies, your soul and your eyes. He comes alive. So we provide this opportunity for response Maybe initiated just by a personal prayer. Just like Jesus prayed quietly to the Lord and said, Lord, I say these things to you. Jesus did that. Then he shouted. And it was with this shout that there came this victory and this display of his power. We pray for those of us around us who are struggling to remove those old grave clothes. Have you ever wondered, whatever happened to Lazarus? What do you do after this, right? <laughs> You're 20 years old. You've been resurrected. 
And you're an instant celebrity. In, in chapter 12, it says that so many people came not just to see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus. So all these people came and said, where's that Lazarus guy who was dead and he's back alive? We want to we see him. It grew to the point where Caiaphas and the high priest in chapter 12 began to make plans to assassinate him. So we got to shut this guy down because all these people are believing in Jesus because he's alive. And after that, we don't know. We really don't know what happened to Lazarus. There's tradition. The early church fathers and others said that he and Mary and Martha escaped. They left. They moved from Judea to Cyprus, where Lazarus became a pastor. He became a bishop at a church. Some people say that he lived for about 30 more years and then he died a peaceful death from natural causes. Others say that during the persecution of Domitian, they sought him out. They found him. They put him to death by beheading him. And he was martyred. We don't know. Because the smaller story of Lazarus is wrapped up in this bigger story of God. We do know this, that he lived many more adventures. And that he had a life of ministry after this event. Many of us have been resurrected spiritually. Whatever happened to you? Do you still believe? It's not that that event should be the defining moment and nothing else happens after that. No, you, you go forward and, and your story and the events of your life are wrapped up and swallowed and engulfed by his life. From Lazarus, we see that his story is a lot like ours. Jesus' defeat of sin and death becomes a guarantee of a new life for all of us who would believe, ensuring our victory over sin and guilt and shame and death and all the effects of that. Would you stand, please? Just as Lazarus was raised from the dead, we too can move from death to life when we put our hope in Jesus' resurrection. All that's left now is to believe. Do you believe? And then we remove our old grave clothes. You don't need that anymore. Our old patterns of sin and be transformed by this new, fresh, eternal, righteous resurrection life that Jesus longs to give us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, for pursuing us. Thank you for resurrection life. I pray that today by grace... that we would affirm 
and be able to answer this question, do we believe? And then piece by piece, we'd take away, even if we need our friends to help us do it, all the grave clothes from that old life that we don't need. It's just holding us down now. Do that in this moment, we pray.